Welcome to the Who's Left podcast, a show about Indiana politics, history, and culture from the unapologetic perspective of the Hoosier left. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers, and I'm recording from Bloomington. Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. This particular holiday season finds me a bit lonely as the kids are with their moms and my wife, a nurse, has been working all Christmas weekend. Uh, climate change has swallowed winter and I've been working outside much of December. It just doesn't feel Christmassy. Some dream of a white Christmas and much of Indiana is getting a 50 degree wet Christmas. Anyway, thank you for being here with me. Now look, I don't want to sound like a Scrooge, but this time of year has long felt kind of alienating, existing like it does at the intersection of Christianity and capitalism, two creeds to which I do not subscribe. But I get it, there's plenty of other holidays around the winter solstice, Hanukkah, Yule, Kwanzaa, Diwali, Boxing Day, lots of good stuff about keeping the light through the darkest time of year, but Christmas is the big one in America, the highest holy day of the prosperity gospel culture. Though not spiritually, certainly, uh, Good Friday and Easter are the essence of actual Christian devotion. Christmas is for the wishy-washy nominal Christians who go to church once, maybe twice a year. And I understand it is a lot easier to get attached to baby Jesus, a lot cuter than beaten, wounded, dying on the cross Jesus. Look, I like the baby version the best, do you hear me? But even more than the religious overtones, there's the gross commercialism. I, I just find it off-putting. Like... The whole thing is just a big game to goose the economy and make those fourth quarter numbers look good. I mean, even FDR moved Thanksgiving in 1939 to give retailers an extra week of shopping season. And Black Friday, so the story goes, is named because after an entire year of operating at a loss, i.e. in the red, stores would only begin to earn a profit, that is, go into the black, on the day after Thanksgiving due to all the holiday sales. It doesn't have to do with the sense of foreboding and doom retail workers feel as they headed to work that day. Show these people some respect. And also, is there is there a better way to show your love for your partner than spending $70,000 on a luxury vehicle without consulting them and parking it in the driveway Christmas morning with a big red bow on it? Merry Christmas, honey! I spent all of our savings! Surprise! Bah! Humbug, I say. Sorry. Maybe I'm just jealous because my birthday is the 28th and this Jesus kid sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Say, you know... I would like nothing more for my birthday than for you to subscribe at the paid level over at scotteringrogers.substack.com. And then there's New Year's right around the corner, too. And I just gotta say it, it would make a lot more sense for a new year to begin in, with the rebirth of spring instead of in the dead of winter. But seeing the calendar turn to 2024 portends a difficult year to come. Uh, if it's not already difficult to tell what's truth versus fiction, we will see unprecedented misinformation, disinformation, and media manipulation this year. It is incumbent on those of us who understand the stakes to fight Trump, MAGA Republicans, and the international authoritarian movement of which they are just a part at every level up and down the ballot and to bring everyone we know along with us. So, uh, having just expressed my reservations about the intersection of big money and big religion vis-a-vis -vis Christmas, let's now add politics to the Venn diagram. At the convergence of the three is a particularly dangerous junction. 
I've written previously about the Secretive Council for National Policy, which you can read over at scottaaronrogers.substack.com. This is the group that brings together the country's most zealous Christian nationalists, uh, Republican activists and think tanks, and uh, anti-tax libertarian extremist billionaire oligarchs. Through their networks, these extremists are already codifying their narrow worldview into law in quote-unquote red states nationwide. Uh, Texas, Florida, and even Indiana. Now, as someone who wholeheartedly agrees with James Madison that, quote, religion and government will both exist in greater purity the less they are mixed together, unquote, it was with some trepidation I discovered the Democratic candidate for Indiana House District 62, my district, is an evangelical pastor. There's a pastor on my ballot. Yeah, that's right, Woody. So my Christian nationalism alarm was going off. This is something one might expect from Republicans, but not necessarily on the Democratic side. I knew... I had to dig deeper to challenge my assumptions, and this guy was going to have something interesting to say. And he did. But first, one last time, please consider a paid membership over at scottaaronrogers.substack.com. Uh, even if subscribing at that level isn't right for you right now, Please do subscribe and share it with a Hoosier in your life. 2024 is going to be a very difficult year, and I'm going to be here every step of the way, helping you navigate the bullshit as we fight for real democracy in Indiana, America, and worldwide. Thank you. Now. Nah. My interview today is with Pastor Thomas Horrocks of Beechwood Christian Church in French Lit, candidate for Indiana House District 62. We discuss church-state separation, how his faith influences his politics, what would Jesus really do, churches as organizing spaces, and which political figures best communicate a positive, open, welcoming Christianity. Thomas Horrocks. Let's welcome to the Who's Left podcast, Pastor Thomas Horrocks of the Beechwood Christian Church in French Lick. How you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for the invitation. It's good to be here with you. I, I appreciate you taking the time. So um, you are running for the state assembly in House District 62. That is my home district. Uh, so number one, fantastic. Thank you. I didn't. I, I really wasn't prepared to have to do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I wish you would have. No. Um, yeah, interesting story, and we'll talk about how I got here. Uh, but part of the reason is because there was nobody else. Uh, nobody else w looked like they were stepping up. So, a friend of mine said, "Hey, there's nobody running in your district," and I said, "Oh, I guess I'll have some conversations then." Okay, so uh, let's let's start big. Uh, I am very much not a churchgoer. I'm a big sure. uh, separation of church and state absolutist. Um, so yeah. I and and others like me over on say the the secular left may have concerns about a pastor in the state. Uh, in the state assembly, uh, assuage me. Sure, sure. Um, I actually, I, I am also a proponent of the separation of church and state. Um, I don't think the church should be running state business. And I don't think the state should be running church business. Um, I, I don't think, now, you've probably heard the saying, uh, there's a separation between church and state, but you can never separate faith and politics. I think there's some truth to that. All of us bring our ideological um, 
bent our philosophy that bears on how we think the the government ought to work um but it's not the government's job to institute any particular religion specific tenets um so i would i would support you in that and there's actually a long stream of of christians especially in the baptist tradition um who believe that who who left uh state-run churches for a reason because uh, they didn't like the way that the state was enforcing their particular version of the faith and I think that's true, not just for Christianity, but across the board. Yeah, my understanding is uh, the Baptists were um, uh, the the uh, target recipient of a letter from Thomas Jefferson very early in the Republic that is oft cited, uh, where where the phrase uh, "wall of separation between church and state" comes from. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I believe it was the Danbury Baptists. Yeah, that's the yeah. ones I'm, I'm thinking of. So. Um, you said, you know, you can't separate faith and politics and everybody, everybody kind of brings their own worldview to the table. So how does your faith influence your um, political worldview? It's been sort of a journey for me. Um, I grew up fairly conservative uh, and pretty sheltered. So um, for most of my life, we didn't interact much with politics at all. We, we would maybe talk about voting for the president um, every four years. We didn't get involved very much at all in local or state-level politics. Um, it was sort of a stay out, right? We focus on, we focus on the individual level, and um, the smaller the government, the better. It was, it was sort of the way that we approached it growing up. Uh, we would still say it was fairly conservative. Um, and I, I had, I was given a religious theology a political theology uh that was sort of just you know the government people relying on the government is bad yeah. right small government we need to empower personal responsibility we need to empower um you know individual which which was fine um until i began to sort of wake up a little bit and pay attention to the way that the world actually worked um, so I was in seminary, uh, and, and I started paying attention to how things actually worked in the world. And I realized that there is truth to the idea that systems and structures and policies have a, a big impact in people's lives. Um, and this was at the same time that I was studying scriptures again that I thought I knew from growing up. Uh, but in better context and realizing that one of the consistent messages throughout the the christian the, the jewish and the christian scriptures is this emphasis on justice uh, social justice communities being responsible for uh, the most marginalized among them uh, and so i remember studying the prophets in in seminary in the old testament uh, and growing up, the, the prophets, all they were were sort of like predictors of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's how we understood them. But when I actually read them in context, uh, they were saying things like, uh, God hates your your offerings and your assemblies because you're trampling the poor in the gates and you're taking bribes where uh, you should be executing justice. Um, and so I, I started talking about this online. I was like, this is, this is, this is just what our faith teaches. I was, I was talking about it on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, and all of a sudden people started calling me liberal for the first time in my life. I was like, I, I'm not liberal. This is, this is just what, what scripture teaches. I, I was really naive. This, I mean, taking care of the, the most marginalized, uh, the, the poor and the needy among us as a community is just the teaching of, of scripture. And people are like, well, that, that's, you know, that's liberal. Like, no, it's, it's just biblical. Um, so over time I saw that the the essence of the faith for me is love for neighbor jesus says everything else is secondary to how you love your neighbor and he has this uh remarkable passage as, as often cited in matthew 25 where the nations are gathered before him and it says i'm going to separate the, the 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 sheep from the goats and this is how it's going to go uh, i'm going to look to those on my right and say um Enter in into paradise because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was an immigrant and you took me in. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're like, well, when did we do this for you, Lord? And he's like, 
insofar as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And then the, the opposite goes to the others. I, you're not entering because when I was hungry, you didn't give me something to eat. I'm like, well, Lord, when did we not give you something to eat? He said, when you didn't do it for the least of these. Um, and so over and over, I just saw this pattern of the essence of the Christian faith being the well-being, the tangible well-being of our neighbor. Um, and so for me, I just realized that that politics, instead of being some dirty business at its best, can really be how we love our neighbor in the public square, right? It's how we can, in a democratic republic, in a representative democracy, uh, how we can leverage the common good using, you know, the government as the administrative arm of the will of the people. And so if I want my neighbor to thrive, government can be a tool and a vehicle to that end. That's that's fantastic. I And, you know, that's something I wanted to ask about because I, I, I can't quote scripture at you, but I, I, I studied um, all of the major world religions when I was in school and, you know, the at least surface level. And the Jesus guy that I see in the Gospels is in the temple flipping over tables, you know, getting after money changers, uh, associating with uh, sex workers and the diseased and turning the other cheek in the face of violence. How did we get to, like, this masculine warrior Jesus that um, I hear a lot about um, on the right? Yeah, yeah. So that's a, a fascinating story, and historians and sociologists have done a lot of work on that. Probably most famously in the last five years or so has been Kristen Kobes Dumais' book, Jesus and John Wayne. Mm. Uh, phenomenal book. Um, she's a historian by trade. She's a professor at Calvin University. Um, and so she looks at that development of uh, the, the Christian far right in the uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and how... I mean, as the title says, how we sort of substituted Jesus for John Wayne and this idea of muscular Christianity. Um, but it wasn't always this way, and it was it was very intentionally leveraged uh, by some folks with power to accumulate power. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, if, and if you want to back up even further, you can look at Kevin Cruz's book, One Nation Under God, um, sort of how corporate America leveraged you know it, it um language of christian faith to to promote this hyper capitalism sure. and then taken out with some of the culture wars in the 60s 70s and 80s um and a lot of you know sort of nefarious people recognizing unfortunately that uh religion can be used as a way to manipulate people to amass power um and that just sort of happened on a pretty grand scale for a few decades, leading us to where we are now. Um, thankfully, there's 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 always been a resistance to that. Uh, it, it wasn't always the mainstream. Um, so in, in the early uh, 20th century, um, what we would call now uh, mainline Christianity was, was dominant. Um, and there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, the social aspect of the gospel. Um so it's really only, I mean, only the last 60, 70, 80 years, but it hasn't always been that way. And there's always been um, a, Christians who are pushing back against that. The problem is they've not done as good a job leveraging the media. Um, and so what most people see more often than anything uh, is some of the extremism on the right um, that's, that's more interested in ascertaining, maintaining power than actually living out the teachings of Jesus. And there's so many on the market. You know, you had your Jerry Falwells and you got your Pat Robertson and then, you know, Joel Osteen's on TV all the time. And there's guy after guy after guy after guy. And I'm I'm, I'm about to turn 45 years old here. I, I grew up, I remember watching like yeah. Jimmy Swagger you know, bawling his eyes out uh, and, and asking forgiveness in, in the 1980s. And and I always kind of wondered, like, 
isn't that market like super oversaturated? Where is where is it? instead of hellfire and brimstone? Where's the like radical love that Jesus talks about on on yeah. TV? Yeah, unfortunately, those the the radical loved ones um, aren't as good at bringing in the money. They don't manipulate people into the money. Um, and so it just becomes an outsized, you know, th those people have such outsized presence in terms of the, the real world. There's so many good, good churches and pastors out there who aren't seeking, you know, syndication. Um, and maybe that's a problem and maybe we need to do a better job of trying to, to syndicate. There was a huge movement, um, in the late uh, 20th century among these groups to that they bought up radio stations mm -hmm. and television stations right to try to get the message out um and at the same time i think you know faithful progressive christians were for the most part just you know trying to live out their their calling in their churches and their communities and, and not seeking uh, mega platforms so they... sure um th there are a few people i think uh, within politics, I, 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 you know, I can't speak for uh, within uh, Christianity, but a couple people that that speak really well um, about the social gospel in a political context are both a couple Hoosiers, actually. And yeah. one is Pete Buttigieg. And, and, you know, I've got my problems with Pete. Like, I'm, I'm probably further to the left than he is on most issues. But he's very, very good at, at I, I think, speaking to folks in their language. Right. Um, right. And, and also uh, UAW President uh, Sean Fain, who uh, recently... Mm -hmm steered his union to a big victory, uh, got a good contract from the big three automakers. Uh, he's very forward with his faith. Uh, and, and, yeah. and, you know, leading as, as he thinks uh, a Christian should. Are there any influences that, that you can think of that are really good at, at, at doing this that I'm missing? Currently, um, I think one of the best right now, and he's more on the the religious side than the politics side, but he's um, he sees the intersection of the two. Uh, the Reverend Doctor William Barber, mm. um, he's a uh, a preacher in my own tradition, Disciples of Christ, um, and he is at the head of the Poor People's Campaign, which was founded by another clergy person, the Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King Jr. Right? Uh, a lot of us forget that. Before, and while he was an activist seeking political change, he was an ordained minister. And so that informed and gave the moral grounding for the work that he was trying to do. Um, and so Reverend uh, uh, Dr. Barber has sort of picked up that mantle for the Poor People's Campaign. Um, Jim Wallace is another one founded Sojourners and, and sort of the Christian left, uh, the evangelical left. Um, and in evangelical circles is a little bit more well-known. Um, probably not outside of that. Um, but he actually, he wrote a book that I read over a decade ago. Now, I don't know how long it's been, maybe, maybe even close to two, one and a half, uh, God's politics, yeah. right. Um, uh, which sort of may have been, uh, part of the Genesis of me starting to untangle the, the conservative politics that I grew up with, with my faith and realizing that there's a, there's a whole other side to this. Um, so yeah. Jim Wallace has been a, a, a big voice for that on the left. Um, although if you're not connected there, you probably haven't heard much of him. Sure. That's, um, uh, but yeah, our, our own, uh, our own state Senator Shelley Yoder, uh, has, uh, a master of divinity. Um, so she, she's connected as well. And, and you see this president Obama, um, was was deeply formed mm -hmm. in, in faith, and you can hear that in his language too. I know there was that that controversy that came out with his pastor, Reverend Jeremiah, right? But that was his pastor, right? So he was a part of that tradition, yep. um, and he was formed in that, um, you know, 
the, the, the black church in America has always seen an intersection of faith and politics because it was, it was life for them. Yeah. They were under the oppressive, uh, policies. And so they, they always saw that that connection, that the, the move for liberation had its grounding in, in these truths that they were learning uh, from the Bible. Um, and so I, I think some of the people who speak the most of it, they have that language of hope because it's often coming to them from a religious background. Okay. So you're obviously well-versed uh, and, and, and can speak to people. You, you speak Christian, as it were. Um, you know, yeah. are, are, are you going out and knocking on doors yet? Are you, you know, giving, giving talks? We've had a few talks, um, mostly, you know, lunch parties and recently at the uh, Monroe County Democrats fall dinner. Um, uh, haven't started knocking too many doors yet. That's going to come hot and heavy uh, in January. Okay, very good. So um, this is a diverse district. Um, yes. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm here in, in Bloomington and, you know, Bloomington is notoriously liberal and diverse and secular and the rest of the district is probably pretty conservative. What is, how are you threading that needle with your potential constituents? Well, one of the things that, that I wholeheartedly believe to be true is that despite the, the, the division and the rancor that we're seeing at the national level, um, in an extreme, you know, online spaces. At the end of the day, I really believe that we all have more in common. We've got more that that unites us than divides us. At the end of the day, most of us just want to get an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. We want to uh, be able to to raise our children uh, as we see fit. Uh, without too much government interference in that. Um, we want to be able to afford our medicine. Uh, we we want to um, you know, be able to afford health insurance and a few nice things and some, some good food. We, we don't want our water to be contaminated. We don't want our air to, to make us sick. Um, so when we talk about these, these ground level things, I actually think that we've got a lot more in common. Uh, and so I, I plan on hitting that, right? I, I think the things... The, that stir us up, the, the culture war things that, that often stir us up. The face-to-face conver -face conversations that I've had, even with people across mm -hmm. across the aisle, is that, yeah, we just, like, life shouldn't be so hard. And so if we can talk about some common sense solutions uh, that are going to make things better for us. And, and my thing is, I think, I believe that we ought to make government work for all of us. I know that's sort of like a silly tagline, but I, I believe that it's true. Uh, there's there's people with a lot of money and power who know how to pull the levers and make the government work for them. Uh, but I think the government, I, I believe in the founding vision of the people by the people for the people, right? And so sort of my mission is to say, hey, you know, people who have a lot of money and power, they're already making the government work for them and we don't call it handouts and we don't call it welfare. Um, you know, it, it should work for all of us. We're paying taxes, and the government's here to help everybody get along a little bit better. Um, and it's the way that we can we can take care of each other as neighbors. And I think that's a message that regardless of, you know, strong political ideology, most of us can get behind. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the things like I like to do is, you know, take the word government in any phrase and and replace it with all of us working together through our representatives and 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 so yes. if the, the the phrase is like you know you want to you want to tear down government it, the way you're really saying is you want to tear down the ability for all of us to work together toward a common end right and <laughs> and, and and you know government gets a knock as this big bad thing and when run poorly and when run into the interest of the already rich and powerful it can be that big bad thing but it could also be a very important tool um for us to get things done that we can't do alone yeah. 
Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, you can use a hammer constructively mm -hmm. to, to, to build a house, or you can use it destructively to hurt people, right? The, the government can, can and has been used both ways. But at its best, it's exactly as you said. It's just, it's the administrative arm of the people, the way that we enact our collective will. Um, and when we talk about the government, we don't often talk about the fact, like, that's who, you know, builds our roads for the most part. Uh, that's who puts out fires. And, that, um, you know, that's who makes sure that we have clean air and uh, that people can't take too bad advantage of us, you know, that has regulations on food and medicine so that we're not getting unnecessarily sick. Um, the, the government does so many good things for us. Yes, it's done bad things, and, and we should be mindful of that. But as the people, we can shape it and we can use it for good or for evil. And I want to help use it for good. That leads me to the the question. When you get to Indianapolis uh, after next November, how do you intend to shape government to best serve District 62? You know, I, I get that question a lot, and I don't have a fantastic answer only because if I win and we flip a seat, now I'm hoping that we'll flip many seats, but if we just flip a seat, we're still going to be in the relative minority. So it's not like I'm going to be able to go in and single-handedly, you know, write all of the laws that I would like to write. Um, it's going to go bump up against supermajority. What I hope to be able to do is sort of a guiding principle, and it comes from a quote uh, that I heard from former Vice President Hubert Humphrey. And he said, the moral test of government is how it treats those who are in the dawn of life, those who are in the twilight of life, and those who are in the shadows of life, talking about the young, the old, and the marginalized. Okay. And so one of the things that I hope to do is be a voice for those people and shine a light on, on how any given package of legislation is going to affect the people who don't have the levers of power already. How does this affect the young? How does this affect the elderly? How does this affect the people who are historically on the margins and, and under the thumb? Is it lifting them up and making everybody better? Or is it only serving a small group of special interests who already have a lot of money and power? Um, and if I can at least shine a flashlight on that, I'll be happy. Um, beyond that, if I can shape it to help those people, um, then, you know, that's that's the, the gooey cream center <laughs> yeah very good I, I i mean certainly the legislature could use a um a thoughtful loving christian voice uh instead of all the the mean hateful ones we have in indianapolis right now yeah yeah so I'll tell you, I've been actually very encouraged by some of the conversations I'm having with um, some independents and some uh, some moderate, even stronger Republicans who are saying that, that they are increasingly estranged mm. from the party of their youth. Um, they're recognizing that the current supermajority isn't really about limited government. Right. Because limited government doesn't tell women what decisions they should be right. making in the privacy of a doctor's office. Limited government doesn't tell kids what books they can't be reading, especially when so many of our third graders are failing the reading test. Right. Um, and so they're realizing that their party has sort of been hijacked uh, and they're feeling disillusioned by it. And so there's a lot of moderates and there's a lot of independents who are ready for something different because they just feel like the, the party they grew up with is no longer representative of, of what they believe. I, I, I definitely feel that. I mean, it's, it's, it's something when today's GOP has got you missing George W. Bush. <laughs> but um, on a serious note, like one thing that conservative evangelicals ha have is a really tight... Uh, organizing space, like the, the with the churches being, you yes. know, not just 
uh, a place you go on Sundays, but it's, it, you know, it's life consuming and, you know, politics and, and religion are, are become one. And with there being uh, as many religiously unaffiliated people um, in, in this country as there are evangelical Christians, I feel, I feel like my people are um, missing that, that space where where we can all yeah. come together and and I don't know um what the what the solution is to that um and and I don't know if I have a question yeah. or if I'm just venting but um <laughs> I'm yeah. sure yeah. sure <clears throat> it, it's true i mean having having that shared identity right it goes a long way um and it's and i think it's what the church at its best can be right yeah. imagine if if we had that network and we were leveraging it for the common good right if we were using that kind of thing and we were leveraging it to um to help our neighbors and, and you know and the thing is a lot of conservative christians do that really well for the common good at the individual level at the yeah. level of charity yeah um it's just the 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 recognition of the next step, which was the epiphany for me, that that charity doesn't fix what policy creates, right? Um, so I, I I don't know what I don't know what the answer is to to that sense of shared identity and shared community, um, but it's important, and and we know that it's important. We we know that, I mean, there's there's studies out there that religious people across the board tend to be happier mm -hmm. and healthier and live longer um not because of the content of their beliefs but because there is this shared community and 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 bigger purpose um and so i think you're exactly right if it's not the church we need to help people find that same sense of community and shared identity and bigger purpose um for whatever it is just because i think it's it's good for people yeah you know, what is absolutely um i know uh we could probably use one in this country, but in uh, the United Kingdom, they have a minister for loneliness. Um, it is a very serious yeah. problem, particularly with uh, the elderly, and, and even more so with 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 older men. Yeah, yeah. The the U.S. Surgeon General this year came out with a whole uh, calls it an epidemic of loneliness, um, and the uh, the physiological and psychological effects of loneliness. Are brutal um people who are lonely are are less physically healthy they're less happy they're less connected um so absolutely we i mean figuring out how we can connect people together uh with with shared purpose and identity um is is a crucial crucial task and you know bring it bringing it back to to jesus which is i guess where we started that <laughs> is what I, I feel like I'm supposed to be getting, right? Like that that is, you remember the bracelets, right? What yeah. would Jesus do? That's what Jesus would do, right? right. Would, would be to embrace right. us all, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it's just, I, I got to tell you, you know, growing up in the, the 80s and 90s, it... it church just seemed like a very hateful disillusioning kind of place yeah and and i feel like i mean certainly that's got a lot to do with um the increase in you know people saying they don't have a a, a religion yes um but it's it's also you know maybe maybe turned off people who were curious and and you know were didn't Absolutely. didn't grow up in that uh, you know tr tradition in the first place um there's a famous quote yeah. by by gandhi he's talking to a missionary um i think it's e stanley jones and he famously says uh i like your christ i do not like your christians mm -hmm. your christians are so very unlike your christ um, you know, that's gone decades ago, right? And I feel and like that's perfect. a, a, that's a yeah. perpetual thing. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's that's part of what I've I've been battling even as a pastor for a while, right? Is is you know even even the the does this sound arrogant? But the, the good ones among us, right? We have a lot to overcome because some people have had so many bad experiences. Yeah, I've had bad experiences um, with, with Christians and in church, um, and so I get it. And sort of one of the one of the only things that keeps me going is like I'm not willing to let them have it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's still too much good and too, and too much beauty in there that I'm not willing to give it up to the to the people who I think are misusing it for. Um, the, the wrong ends. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's a brave fight because, uh, at least, uh, well, you're, I don't know if you're outnumbered, but you're sure you're, 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 you're certainly outvolumed. Yes. Yeah. It, it's true. Um, but I, I think what we're going to see, you know, this isn't, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't say for sure, but I think that that volume is, is slowly backfiring. Mm. Um, and so I think if there's a, a patient, loving quietness and a, in a steady movement forward, um, that people are going to see the volume, the, the hatefulness for what it is. And I hope to be one of the people along the way who are saying, listen, if, if you, if you, if you want to leave it completely, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm not going to blame you for that. Um. But if you're wondering if there's another side of this, um, you know, me and I, you know, there's some really good people alongside me who are saying, we think that this isn't worth giving up altogether and that there's another beautiful, beautiful side to this um, that really is uh, compatible with a lot of the, um, you know, classic values that we hold. And, and even more, you know, when I look at our founding documents, you know, we, we talk about patriotism. Mm -hmm. Right. Who is actually fighting for this idea that all people are created equal? Yeah. Right? At this point, I think you have to say it's the political left is is really fighting for all people. Um, and I think that that is is right in line with uh, the message of Jesus and, and this this love for all. Um, and so I think it fits perfectly. Um, and at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to give it up to, to the folks who are weaponizing it, uh, for their own power. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I want to feel the same way about Indiana. You know, I've got, I've got plenty of family yeah. out of state. Yeah. I could, but you know, we could try to move to be closer to them. Um, you know, move to some blue state somewhere. No, I grew up here. I live here. I've, I've got roots. I'm right. settled. That's right. I'm not leaving you, Lee. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it, and so I have this, you know, maybe it's naive, but I think if you were to take the the party platform mm -hmm. of the Indiana Democrats and remove Democrat from it yep. and hand it to, to an everyday Hoosier and say, read through this and tell me what you think, they would say, you know what? I think that's a state that I want to live in. And so I think if we can get back to messaging that kind of thing, we're, we're for people. Yeah. We are for empowering and uplifting people uh, so that we can be our best, so that we can create a state where people want to come and feel at home, where our kids want to stay. Um, that's what we're about. Uh, and I think if we can get beyond some of the, the, the really loud culture war stuff and talk about the kitchen table issues and look at the last 20 years yeah. and say, have things gotten better for you in Indiana in the last 20 years? People are probably going to say no. Say, who's been in charge? Yep. Right? We've, we've, had, we've had a Republican supermajority for a long, long, long time. So all of the issues at a state level that aren't working, you can't blame the Democrats for that. Um. And so I think people are ready for change, and, and I think we have, uh, uh, I think we've got a unique possibility this year. I'm having some really in, encouraging conversations, and I think if we can get our messaging right, yeah, and, and stop getting so distracted by what we're against, because I think that's been one of one of the issues. For some reason, Democrats are always on the defense, right? We're against 
this. We're not this. We're not this. If we say, no, we're for people. We're for Hoosiers. We're for kids. We're for schools. We're for working class people. We're for elderly people. We're for affordable health care. We're for a future where we have clean air and clean water. Aren't you for that too? I think people would be like, yeah, I'm for that too, right? Come with us. Let's get it done. I love, I love it. I love it. Take off the. I chose Folgers. Ah, that's right. right. Yeah. Right. No, 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 yeah. No, one, exactly. no one younger than us is going to get those, <laughs> over, uh, get that reference. <laughs> that's true. Okay. That's true. So, but it, it, I think it's exactly right. Um, give me, as we, as we sort of come in to the, the, the closing stretch here, give me, Give me, give me the pitch. Uh, you know, you, you you knock on my door, and you introduce yourself, and 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 how are you going to get me to vote for you? Uh, well, hey, uh, my name is is Thomas Horrocks. I'm running for uh, state representative for District 62, which, uh, if you don't know, that's where you live, because um, I, I, I feel a lot of people don't actually yeah. know. You know, we we don't pay attention to state level government. Um, and I'll say I'm running because uh, I believe that our state level government should be working for our best interests. Um, I think that you uh, want to, I, I can tell you a few things that are probably true about you. Um, you, you, you deserve fair pay for the work that you do. Uh, you think healthcare should be a little bit more affordable. Um, you want to drink clean water and breathe clean air. Um, you, you want schools for our children uh, to work well for them. That's why I'm running. Uh, and we've had uh, over 20 years of the Republicans running it, and it's not, it's not doing that for us. It's time for something different. Uh, I hope you'll vote for me in November. Love it. Um, where can the people find more information about you? Yeah, so our website is horrocksforhoosiers.com. Uh, not the number four, but horrocks, F-O-R, hoosiers.com. Um, and on there, there's a, a link. You can sign up to get our newsletters. Uh, we send out almost weekly newsletters. Uh, you can sign up to volunteer, knock doors, phone bank. If you want a yard sign in your yard, um, if you want to donate, uh, one of the things that I'm realizing in all of this is how desperately we need campaign finance reform. Mm -hmm. Uh, but until that happens, running campaigns is expensive, um, and so we need we need money to make it work. So if if you can uh, chip in a few bucks to to help us buy some yard signs and some mailers and and pay some incredible staff to help us make this happen, um, I'm on on Facebook at Horrocks for Hoosiers, uh, Instagram at Horrocks for Hoosiers, and. Uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, at Horrocks for IN62, because apparently Horrocks for Hoosiers was too many characters, and I didn't realize that before we branded everything else. Really? Ah, well. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. excellent. Um, Thomas Horrocks, thank you so much for joining me on the Who's Left podcast. It's been a lot of fun, Scott. Very nice to meet hey, you, and uh, hopefully we'll be knocking on your door soon. Yeah, Merry Christmas. You as well. Hope you enjoy it. Happy New Year. Once again, that was Thomas Horrocks, pastor at Beechwood Christian Church in French Lick and candidate for Indiana House District 62. You know, I, I sometimes give Christians and Christianity a hard time, but really it's fundamentalists of any stripe at whom I really direct my ire. Uh, and in Indiana and America at large, Christian fundamentalists have outsized importance. Uh, ironically, socially conservative Christian fundamentalists, once Dixiecrats, a key constituency in the FDR New Deal coalition, by uh, abandoning the Democratic Party for Nixon and more so Reagan and the anti-tax billionaires, they ushered in the neoliberal era where the godless market rules all and everything is for sale. Now, Pastor Thomas is not a fundamentalist. He honors the separation of church and state. He appreciates that I can't do that because of my religion is a fine statement, but 
you can't do that because of my religion, is tyranny. I appreciate the faith he brings with him to the political table, and I hope his candidacy demonstrates that there is an open, accepting, welcoming way to be a Christian in politics, and that the hateful, exclusionary, bigoted old conservatives don't have a monopoly on faith in this country. Even this heathen, for one, could enthusiastically support this kind of pastor and this kind of candidate. You know, fundamentalists scream often about a war on Christmas, that a secular culture is removing Christ from Christmas. But I could argue they'd better work on keeping the Christ in Christianity. All that's on my wish list, besides a bunch of new subscribers, is a little peace, love, and understanding. That the world turn away from fundamentalism of all kinds. And there's nothing funny about that. So with extra special Christmas joy to those in healthcare, drugstores, movie theaters, and whoever else has to work over the holidays, and extra hugs to those who are estranged from family for whatever reason or lost someone this year, I uh, know this time of year can be extra difficult. Until next time, this has been the Who's Left Podcast. Please subscribe, comment, like, and share. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers. You can find me on social media at scottrodge 78 Whatever you celebrate, happy holidays, Indiana.